Thank you for listening to this message from the pulpit of New Grace Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. We hope the message you are about to hear is a blessing to you and your family. The the greatest tool that God's church has, no matter what church it is, and look, there are churches all over the globe that have a lot of different uh, tools to their that they can use. Uh, we have internet. We you know they have they have. Uh, sound systems, they have shows that go on and, you know, smoke machines and fog machines and laser lights and all that stuff or whatever it is. Uh, The greatest tool any church has is prayer. A church that has no technology, no outreach, no, or no, no influence, no power, no authority, but they have a group of believers who pray will accomplish incredible more for God than a church that has millions of dollars in the bank and all the, the technology and all the resources. And we know that because we saw it happen in the book of Acts. You know, Andrew Murray, he said, the man who mobilizes the Christian church to pray will make the God greatest contribution to the world of evangelism in history. Prayer is what made the first century church so powerful, so effective for God. You know, God wants to do something, not just, not just in our church, but in the church. But God wants to do something in the church uh, that in, regarding prayer. God wants to do something through our church greater than anything we could ever imagine. You know, if you study church history you'll notice that every major movement of God started with someone, somewhere, praying. You know, the the third great awakening began with a prayer meeting in New York City on Fulton Street that was designed for businessmen to come during their lunch hour from 12 to 1. They could come to this this, this, this building on Fulton Street in New York City, and they could just spend an hour a week praying. It began with just six men, and in just a few months, it had grown from over six men to over 6,000 men across the city. And they were having prayer meetings every day, all throughout the day, every hour of the day, and it spread throughout the entire country. And it started with prayer. Samuel Chadwick, he says, the one concern of the devil, the devil is to keep the saints from prayer. Our enemy fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. Prayer turns ordinary men into men of power. It brings fire. It brings rain. It brings life. It brings God. There is no power like that of prevailing prayer. Okay, we've, we've named this year our year of prayer. Last year was the year of the Bible. This year is the year of prayer because nothing, nothing is going to change your life more effectively than the Word of God and prayer to God. Those are the two things we have to have to not just change our lives, but to change our community for God. The only thing that can make a church as effective as the first century church is having a church that prays. And here's what we got to understand. The church is not a building. It's not a place. When we talk about the first century church, because of our culture and because of, you know, where, how we are in America and this how we think of church, I sometimes think we think of, oh, well, they went to the first Baptist church of Jerusalem. They went to the first Baptist church of Antioch. They had a building program with a great cathedral and, man, they had, you know, beautiful people. No, they, they had nowhere to meet. They met, the Bible says, they met every day in different people's houses, across the city, in marketplaces. So if we really want to do church like the first century church, we're going to sell this property and meet at everybody's house one day a week. And then after when we're not meeting, we're going to go to Walmart and start preaching. We're going to go to Kmart and start preaching. We're going to go, do they have Kmart anymore? No, Target and start preaching. Uh, I'll take the farmer's market and start preaching. Uh, <clears throat> but that's what church was. So, you know, church, this is not 
a church. This is a building where the church gathers, where the church meets. A church is a group of individuals set apart for God. And the power of prayer of the church is directly related to the power of prayer of the people in the church. So what do you mean by that? If you're not praying on your own time, doesn't matter how many prayers we've put up here, doesn't matter how, how, how often we have prayer meetings, doesn't matter how, how many times I talk about prayer or preach about prayer, or how much I pray. If we as individual believers are not dedicating our lives to prayer, the church is going to be ineffective in its prayers. You need to be dedicated to prayer. I need to be dedicated to prayer. And as we are dedicated to prayer, the church's prayers will be incredibly powerful. D.A. Carson says the best way to embarrass a Christian is to ask them about their prayer life. There was a recent study <coughs> that Pew Research did, and they, they interviewed and they, they uh, studied and asked questions of 5,000 seminary students who were training to go on the mission field. You know, so the, these are the, the elite. These are the Navy SEALs of Christianity. They're willing to sell everything and leave everything to go to a foreign mission field. Some of them dangerous. Some of them, you know, alone in just very difficult situations. These are, are the best of the best. And they found that of the 5,000 they interviewed, 6% said they devoted themselves to prayer. 6% of men and women training to go to the mission field said they had a good prayer life. What, what's our prayer life like? If the best of the best struggle, what about, what about us? You know, God, what if God wants to do something incredible through, through you, through new grace, through his church. But he can't because we're not praying. Or our prayers are ineffective. Or our prayers are focused on things that, in the grand scheme of eternity, don't matter. But that's what we focus on. You know, a lot of believers are skeptical skeptical about prayer and i understand that you know sometimes you you pray to god you have a prayer request you have a prayer burden you go to god you pray and god answers that prayer and man your faith grows and you see great things and look it is it is it i've seen it in life and it's it's biblically true god answers the prayers of of new believers and kids very often because he's trying to grow their faith and really because their prayers aren't these great Oh, God, you know, start a church here, or God, heal this person miraculously, or whatever. I'll tell you one thing. When we were on deputation, we started, you know, before I graduated college, and we started going on deputation to raise money uh, to start uh, what was New Horizon, now it's New Grace. And uh, we were traveling, and, and Connor, uh, we had Connor, Parker, and Lexi. And Parker, uh, of course, he was older, and uh, he liked these, these Legos, um, like Lego battle bots or something. I can't remember what they were, like Lego legends. But they're, they're big Legos, so you build a, a, a machine and it's a bigger Lego, not a small Lego. And he loved those things, and he wanted one of those things. And he'd say, me, ask me and his mom, hey, can we, can we get one of them? We're brand new college student, uh, college graduates, with no job going around essentially begging churches for money. And uh, he's like, can you buy me this? And you know, a good parent, as we are, and spiritual parents, we're like, you know what, buddy? Why don't you ask God for that? Thinking, that's it. That's kind of like ask Santa. You know, hey, Dad, can I have, ask Santa? So we're like, why don't you pray and ask God for that? And he did. He started praying about that. A week later, we go to a church up in Maryland, outside of Baltimore, and they had an Awana program. And so Parker had never been to Awana because we'd, the, any church we'd been ahead had Awana, but he goes to the Awana program that night. And so they're, they're asking for a scripture, you know, quoting scripture, the scripture memorization. And he knew it all because, you know, his parents are great spiritual giants who, uh, you know, just, no, 
because he, he studied, you know, he memorized it, but he knew all the scriptures, so he's quoting scripture, and he's getting all these Awana points, and then they take him to the Awana store, and they give him all this Awana cash, and you know what he was able to buy? Those Lego battle bots. He comes out, Dad, God answered my prayer. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome, dude. Can I give you some prayers to pray for me? Because uh, God doesn't work that fast in my case. Um, but so sometimes you'll pray very specific prayers, and God answers evidently and obviously, and you're like, oh, God, thank you so much. Sometimes you pray, and God, he says no, but we take it as he doesn't answer us. Or, you ever had this happen? You have a problem come up, you have a, a need, and before you even think to pray about it, it gets taken care of. So you're like, well, what am I praying then? If it's going to happen anyway. And look, I've struggled with this. I've struggled with the sovereignty of God in my prayers. And I've told you all this, where, you know, God's sovereign. God's in control. God's going to do his will in my life and on earth. So why am I going to, why am I going to pray? I can't change his mind. You know, why why am I going to pray for this? God's going to do what God's going to do, so don't even worry about it. And so, you know, we can struggle in how we pray and what we pray. You know, but we see some incredible lessons on prayer in Acts chapter 12. And that, that gives us a glimpse into the prayer life of this first century church. But to understand it, we've got to look at Luke number 11. Uh, now, Luke chapter 11. Now, Luke and Acts are written by the same person. Anyone know who wrote them? Luke, yeah. Luke wrote Luke and Acts. Originally, the book of Luke and the book of Acts were written together. It was one long book. So it wasn't he wrote the book of Luke, then he wrote the book of Acts. No, he wrote the book of Luke and Acts together. When the church, when the Bible was canonized, we broke them up. There's nothing wrong with that because they go together. It's like the chapter breaks and the verse breaks. You know, when Luke was writing the book of Luke, he didn't write Luke number 11, verse 1. No, he just wrote. But we gave chapter delineations. We gave verses so that it's easier to find. So I can say, hey, go to Luke chapter 11, verse number 1, instead of saying, hey, go to look and look for this word, because that's the word we're going to be going to. Good luck finding it. No, it's easier to do. So that's, so the fact that it's broken up isn't bad, but they were written together by Luke. And now the book of Luke shows us how Jesus worked while he was on earth. It shows us the ministry of Jesus and the lessons of Jesus. The book of Acts shows the work of the Spirit in the church. So Luke shows the work of Jesus on earth in the flesh. Acts shows the work of Jesus on earth in the Spirit through the church. The teachings of Jesus found in Luke are seen lived out by the church in Acts. So Luke gives us doctrine. Acts shows us application of that doctrine. So that's what you got to understand here. So what Jesus teaches about prayer in Luke chapter 11 is lived out in the church in Acts chapter 12. So look at Luke 11, verse number 1. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. So Jesus, he's, he's up in a place praying, and his disciples, his apostles, are watching him. And when he's done, and he comes down, they go up to him and say, hey, look, you know, they, they noticed something about Jesus' prayer. They noticed that his prayers were the, the source of his power, the source of his relationship with God, the source of how he got anything done. Because when he comes down, they don't say, hey, Jesus, teach us to walk on water. Teach us how to feed 5,000 people with just a, piece, a couple pieces of fish and some bread. Teach us how to heal people. Teach us how to cast out demons. No, they say, teach us how to pray. Because they understood, he can accomplish all those things because of his prayer life. So if he got his power from prayer, then we could get power from prayer as well. We need exactly what he has. So they say, God, teach us to pray. And so Jesus, of course, he teaches them the, the Lord's Prayer, and we're not going to get into that. And look, we're not going to look at a lot at this because we looked at it when we first started looking at prayer. 
couple months ago, but we're just going to kind of, it's a refresher course for you, okay? Uh, so the crib notes of what you probably forgot because it was back in January. Uh, let's face it, you forgot what I preached last week anyway. So refresher on Luke chapter 11. So he teaches him the Lord prayer. Then he tells a story uh, about this man who needs some bread. So look at uh, chapter 11, verse number five. And he said to them, <clears throat> which of you shall have a friend? And shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are in bed with me. I cannot rise and give thee. Uh, I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity... He will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. So Jesus, he tells this story and he, he, he starts off by saying, hey, how many of you, if you, you know, you had a friend and you're at home at night and your friend comes knock on your door at midnight and wakes you up and says, hey, I need some bread. Give me some bread. I'll be honest with you. Y'all, y'all can call me anytime you want to about anything. I've had people call me uh, at 11 at midnight, at three in the morning, I've, I've been woken up from phone calls. And, you know, it's, it's always fine because it's, all, it's always an emergency. Hey, I'm, I'm struggling. Can you come help me? Hey, this has happened. Can you come pray with us? Hey, we got this. Go. That's fine. You call me at three in the morning and say, hey, preacher, I need bread. We're going to have a problem. You stop at my house and say, hey, preacher, I need bread. I'm going to give you something, but it ain't bread. And uh, you ain't going to need bread no more. And so Jesus like, how many of y'all, if someone came and woke you up and said I need bread, would give it to them? Nobody. I'd be like this guy. Get out of my, I'm calling the cops. Get away from me, you crazy person. Kroger's right down the road. And if they're close, Walmart's open. Go somewhere else. But this guy, he comes up and he says, hey, uh, I need some bread. I had a guest come in. And the man, to me, very politely says, you know, I can't. It's late. Everybody's asleep. The door's locked. You know, I'm sorry. I can't help you. But the guy keeps asking and keeps asking and keeps asking. And again, very good man doesn't get up and say, I'm going to murder you, but says, okay, I'll give you bread if you just leave me the heck alone. And that's what importunity, he goes, look, he gives him not because of his importunity, but because of his, his persistence. He bugged him. So he goes, you know, this guy, he's going to He's going to get what he asks for, not because of his relationship with his neighbor, but because of his persistence in asking. And Jesus says that if a neighbor can get his needs met by another person because of his persistence, how much more is God who loves us and cherishes us and care, how much more is he going to answer our prayers because we ask? The words there when he says, ask, <clears throat> and I shall be given, seek, and you shall knock, and it shall be open. The verbs ask, seek, and knock, they are in the present active tense. That means they are a continuous action. You ask until you get the answer. You seek until you find what you're looking for. You knock until God opens up the door and answers you. And then in Luke 18, we're not going to look at it, but in Luke 18, he tells this parable of a, a widow woman, an unjust judge, who she has a burden, she goes to the unjust judge, and he won't help her, and she just goes over and over and over and over and over again until the judge finally gives her what she needs because of her persistence. And so God is teaching us some things in these parables. Look at verse number 11. <clears throat> if a son ask bread of any of you, that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him, uh, for a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him. Now, I know all of y'all here, and you're all, you know, we have some fathers here in this Father's Day, so happy Father's Day. Uh, but how, I know all of you fathers here, if your children came to you and said, Daddy, I'm hungry, can I have a, a sandwich? I know none of you would say, oh, well, here's, a, here's some gravel. Not on that, kid. 
Uh, anyway, uh, so if you ask, you know, and he's basically saying, you know, you as humans, you're, you're good fathers. Now, look, we can't give our kids everything they ask for. And, and you shouldn't. Let's just be honest there. You should not give your children everything they ask for. But we do want to want to be good to our kids. We want to help them and, you know, be, so if, you know, we, we try to, now, and me, I feel bad, you know, when, when I was a kid, my mom would come home and she would cook dinner and what she cooked for dinner, that was dinner. You ate it or you didn't eat. Anybody else have a mom like that? And look, my mom, I love her. She is so mean. She would make liver and onions. And so you can eat, and I, I pray, I thank God, she didn't say, eat it now, you're not eating anything else until you finish it. She would just say, you can eat this, or you can wait until breakfast. And I was, breakfast is coming. I'll wait until I can get me some, some cocoa puffs or something. I ain't doing this. Uh, so I'm like, forget the liver. But you, she ate, and she does it now too. But so she would make liver, and you ate liver, you didn't eat. You ate till breakfast, that's fine. That's how I was raised. She makes dinner, you eat dinner, that's it. In our house, and even her, she's the worst, because she does as a grandmother. We'll go to her house, and she'll make this great big meal, and Connor will get hot dogs. We're eating all kinds. Well, 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 Connor doesn't like this, so I'm going to make Connor something. Like, I never got that treatment as a kid. I never got, you don't like liver, let me make you a bologna sandwich. I never got that. I got, eat what I gave you or shut up. So, but we do it too, you know, April, we'll make, you know, you know, Luxy, Lexi likes, she's a good, got good taste buds. We'll make a roast or we'll make some, you know, good chicken or something, but Connor doesn't like it. So like, I will make you some hot dogs. Here's a bologna sandwich, you know, do whatever. Find what you want to find. But uh, we provide good food for them. And God says, look, you're a father and you're a good father. You want to take care of your kids. You want to provide for your kids. But you're evil. God calls us evil. But it's not like he's saying you're, he's saying compared to me. And my righteousness, and my love, and my goodness, you, no matter how good of a father you are, are evil. And if an evil father will take care of his kids and give his kids what they ask for, how much more will a heavenly father that loves you, how much more will he give you? That's how Jesus teaches his apostles to pray. Be bold. Be shameless. Be persistent. Because again, he's comparing us to children. You know, children, when they ask for something, man, they're, gonna, they're not going to stop until they get it. And they ask for crazy stuff. You know, you know, hey, Dad, can I have a pony? No, you can't have a pony. Uh, Dad, can I have a Lego superhero? Nope, but you can pray for it. See, that's a trick. Always tell them, hey, can I have this? Why don't you pray for it? And if God wants you to have it, he'll give it to you. But be careful. God may give it just to spite you. Uh, So be careful about that. But so he goes, be bold, be shameless, be persistent. So that is how the church learned to pray from Jesus. Now look at Acts chapter 12, and we're going to see them put this into practice. So Acts chapter 12, verse number one. Now about that time, Herod, the king, stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, put him in prison, and delivered him to four quatorians of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in the prison... But prayers were made without ceasing of the church, uh, with, were made without, without ceasing of the church unto God for him. So during this time, Peter, uh, Herod is having some difficulties because the Jews are upset with him. They're not happy with how he's doing things. And we've talked about it before, how he did really stupid things. He put images of Caesar in the temple, which made him mad. And he just did all kinds of things to anger the Jews. And whenever he made the Jews angry, it would kind of start a rebellion or a riot. And that made Rome mad because Rome, their whole thing was, you, we conquered these people. You just keep them docile. Keep them, just gather taxes and leave them alone. 
and he wasn't doing that. So Rome is mad at him because the Jews are mad at him. So he's trying to please the Jews, and he realized, hey, if I kill Christians, the Jews get happy. So let's just kill Christians. And at the time in Jerusalem, the most well-known Christian was Peter. So he goes, if, if killing James made him happy, killing Peter is going to make him ecstatic. This is going to be good for me. So he decides to take Peter and have Peter killed. Then look at verse number 6. <clears throat> and when Herod would have brought him forth the same night, so the night before Herod was going to kill him, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. I'm always shocked about how well Peter's sleeping here. You're in prison, chained to two guards, sleeping between them, and you ain't on a king-size mattress. You know, you don't have memory foam here. You're on, on the ground, chained between two soldiers, knowing tomorrow I'm going to die. And he's sleeping. I can't sleep if April touches me at night. I mean, seriously. When we first got married, we, you know, we were all cuddly sleepers. Uh, and now, you know, I'm like, you have your side of the bed, I have my side of the bed. There's a divider line there. It's imaginary, but do not cross my border. You know, this is my side. Don't touch me. Don't look at me. Don't breathe on me. I'm going to sleep. And Peter's like, I'm chained between two guys, and this is going to be great. I'm having a good night's sleep. Best rest of his night. Do not understand that. Uh, <clears throat> then number seven. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison, and he smote Peter on the side. And look, when you look at the Greek, the word smote, he, he, it literally means he smacked him hard. Peter is so sleepy, is so sound asleep, an oh, angel shining light doesn't wake him up. And so the angel's not going, Psst, Peter, 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 get up. He's like, hey, Peter, wake up! And smacking Peter to wake him up. I don't understand, Peter, but Peter's like, I'm going to heaven, peace out. Uh, smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise, up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. I really believe Peter was probably thinking he was dreaming at this time, because you're going to see. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself and bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And said unto him, Cast thy garment about me and follow me. And he went out and followed him. And whilst he was, uh, it was true, which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. So he thinks he's dreaming. And when they were past the first... And uh, when they were past the first and second ward, they came into the iron gate that leadeth into the city, which opened to them of his own accord. And they went outside and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. And when Peter realized uh, what Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord has sent this angel, and he hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod, and from all expectation of the people and the Jews. And when he had considered the thing. He came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. So Peter, he thinks he's dreaming. He is so sound asleep. He is, the, the peace he has in God at this time. You know, this guy who, you know, about a year or so before was standing by a fire cussing because he was scared someone was going was to arrest him for being friends with Jesus, is chained up in a Roman prison beside two Roman guards, going to die the next day, and he is just out. So out, an angel's got to smack him on his He's like a teenager trying to be woken up for school. <laughs> Peter, get up! And he's just, and so he, he gets up, he follows, he's like, oh, this is a wonderful dream. And then the angel disappears like, whoa, this ain't no dream. So he goes to the house where people are praying. Now, uh, the people that are praying were not, it's not an apostle gathering. Again, it's just regular. And I hate using that term, but you know what I mean when I say regular church people. They're all, you know, there is no, you know, partiality with God. God's not a respecter of persons, but they were just regular church. They weren't church leaders. They weren't pastors. They weren't evangelists. They were just laymen. They're gathered together. They've been praying all night. And the word praying there in verse 12 says, oh, we're gathered together praying is in the present tense. They were continuing all night in prayer. Look at verse 13. <clears throat> and Peter knocked at the door of the gate. A damsel a, uh, came to hearken named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. Uh, and they said to her, Thou art mad. But she continued, uh, constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then they said, It is his angel. 
But Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But he, beckoning unto them with the, hand to, uh, uh, with the hand to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison, and said, Go show these things unto James and the brethren. And he departed and went into another place. This is, this is so funny to me. They are, in church, they are in a house praying fervently. Now, I do not believe, I, we don't have any scripture to back it up, so I'm not preaching here, this is my opinion. I don't think they were praying for Peter's release. Because when he got released, they're like, ain't no way. That, or if they were praying for that, they weren't praying very, for, they didn't believe it. Uh, but so I don't think that's what they're praying for. I'll get into what I think they're praying for, but they're praying. And so, and then Rhoda goes and she hears Peter. Now remember, Peter at this point is an escaped convict. He's on the run. He needs a place to hide. What does Rhoda do? Leave him outside. Peter's here. He can stay outside. I'm going to tell everybody. They didn't believe him. They're like, oh, well, it must be his ghost. You know, because obviously he's dead. Because why would God, he, you know, do that? And so, but they're, they're shocked at what he does. And so they're praying for his relief, release, and they didn't think he was free. They thought he was dead. But in this story, we learn three things about the prayers of these first believers that we need to apply to our lives. And here's the first one. Number one, I'm going to try to rush through these. They talked to God about their fears. They talked to God about their fears. It is not only okay, it is necessary for you to tell God what scares you. That's okay. You know, sometimes we think, oh, well, you know, we're not supposed to be anxious for anything. We're not supposed to have, you know, God says, do not fear. Yeah, God said don't fear, but it doesn't mean, hey, don't be afraid, so don't ever tell me anything you're scared of. No, you can tell God your fears. These believers, they were afraid of the future. So they talked to God about it. They didn't know what the future was going to hold. One of, their, one of their leaders had been dead, had been murdered. The second one, the most powerful leader in the church at that time, he'd been arrested and he's going to be murdered. They have no idea what the future holds, so they talk to God. In the book of Psalms, there are two types of prayers recorded. There are evening prayers and morning prayers. And it's not like our morning and evening prayers. Where you, you know, it, it, I'll show you what they are. Evening prayers... Were, and you can find, I was going to read it, but lack of time. I spent too much time in my introduction, so I'm not going to read it. Mark it down. Psalms 4. Read Psalms 4 later. Psalms 4 is an evening prayer. An evening prayer is where you tell your burdens, your worries, your concerns. You tell them to God. And in Psalms 4, David is telling God, what is worrying him? He, tell, he tells God, Lord, these people are bugging me. These people are irritating me. These people are making me mad. These people are making me sad. He goes to God and says, God, here's the people that I'm irritated with. Here's the people that I'm mad at. Here's the people that I'm sad about. Look, evening prayers are just giving your burdens and concerns to God. And look, all of y'all are all my evening prayers. God, this person in church, he has made me so mad. Lord God, help me. Uh, no. But so evening prayers are where we go to God and we say, God, here's my... And I'll tell you why we do evening prayers in a minute. But it's where we give our, our concerns, our worries, our burdens to God. Morning prayers are... Because also when you read the evening prayers in Psalms, he didn't ask for anything. He didn't say, God, this person's bugging me, kill him. He does in some places, uh, but not here. He doesn't say, God, this person's irritating. He just says, God, this is, I'm worried. I'm bothered. I'm concerned. I'm frustrated. And this is why. Doesn't ask for anything. Morning prayers are petitionary prayers where you ask God for things, but you ask God for something specific. One of the, the best morning prayers is found in Psalms chapter 5. It is where you are praying boldly to God about things that are not right. Where you're praying, Lord, this is wrong in my family. I need you to get involved and help me fix it. I need your wisdom. I need your guidance. Lord, this is wrong in my, in my country. God, help us as a people to come together to try to fix this. Lord, this is something that's wrong. And Lord, we need to fix it. And we see both of these prayers in Acts chapter 12. And right here in this, this prayer they're praying... 
they are right now, they're praying evening, uh, evening prayers. They are telling God what worries them. They are telling God what they are, uh, what they are afraid of. They are committing what, worried, what they are worried about to God, and they're leaving it in His hands for Him to take care of. That's where, when the Bible says, cast your care upon, that's what it is. It is saying, God, here are my burdens. You take care of them. They're, they're your problem now. You know what most of us do? We go to God, give him our worries, and pick them right back up and keep truck, trucking along. And that's not what God wants us to do. Uh, God wants us to leave our prayers with him. So what do you do when you're afraid? What do you do when you're worried? What do you do when you, you can't sleep because things are bothering you? Do you give it to God and leave it alone? Or do we complain to others or even tell it, God to, tell it to God, but then we take it up and keep it ourselves? If we develop the habit of evening prayers, of giving God our concerns and our worries and our prayers and just left them in His lap for Him to take care of, we would, we would rest, we would have so much more peace that we could even worry about now. So leave your fears, your concerns, your worries at the feet of Jesus and sleep because you know he is taking care of them. In Psalms chapter 4, I'll just read this one part. I want to read this one verse. Again, David lists all the things that bother him, who's upsetting him, what he's concerned about. Then verse 8, I will both lay me down in peace and sleep for thou, Lord, only makest me to dwell in safety. You know, David, he lists all these things as God, this bothers me, this bothers me, this bothers me. You take care of it, I'm going to bed. You fix it, I'm going to sleep. But because I know you are taking care of it, I'm going to sleep better than I've ever slept before. I think that's what Peter was praying. That's why Peter's so asleep. Because Peter's like, God, I can't, I can't do nothing. I'm chained between two Roman guards. They're going to kill me tomorrow. Lord, this worries me. You take care of it. If you fix it, great. If you let me see you tomorrow in heaven, fine too. Lord, it's your problem. I'm going to bed. And sleeps better than he's ever slept before. If you're worried about something, scared about something, give it to God. Let him take care of it. They talked to God about their fears. Second thing they did, they prayed like they were at war. When you look at the prayers of the church in the book of Acts, every time they prayed, everything they were praying for, they were praying for the advancement of the kingdom of God. They weren't praying for God to give them stuff, or they never, you can't even find a prayer where they're like, oh God, please deliver us from this, protect us from this, get us out of this trouble. Every prayer they prayed was, God, we're facing problems, but we have a mission. You want us to get the gospel to the world, so God, help us do that. However you do it, whatever you're working on, God, we need your help not to get out of trouble. We need your help to get more people saved. John Piper says, prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief. It is not surprising that prayer malfunctions when we try to make it a domestic intercom to call upstairs for more comforts in the den. Until you know that life is war, you cannot know what prayer is for. Prayer is for the accomplishment of the wartime mission. This is morning prayer active petition prayer where you are boldly praying for things that are not right in the world. I don't think, you know, Peter didn't pray this prayer. Peter prayed the evening prayer. God, I'm worried you're going to kill me. It's on you now, night, night. The church is going to God and saying, God, they've killed one of our leaders. They're going to kill Peter. They're trying to stop the gospel. God, we need you to do something so that the gospel can continue to go forward and grow. They knew that it was God's will for the church to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. Didn't matter what Herod wanted. Didn't matter what the Jews wanted. Didn't matter what the Romans wanted. It is what God wanted. And so they're not sure Peter's going to make it. We know this. Because they were shocked Peter made it. They thought Peter was going to die. So they weren't praying, oh God, deliver Peter or wake Peter up. But they knew no matter what happened to Peter, 
God still had the purpose of getting the gospel to the entire world. So they prayed for that to happen. They knew God's will, and they prayed toward God's will. What do you know is God's will for you in your life right now? What is the Holy Spirit placed in your heart that God wants you to do? Maybe it's witness to somebody. Maybe it's start a ministry somewhere. Maybe it's step up and take a leadership role in the church or step up and start discipling. You know God has laid this on your heart. You need to pray, God, this, isn't, this, is, not, this is your will for me. I don't care how you do it. I don't care what obstacles I face, but God, I know this is what you want me to do, and I'm going to pray and pray and pray until you answer me about this and you show me what to do to accomplish your will. You know why most of us don't get our prayers answered? Because we pray to God instead of praying with God. God's not somebody, he's not, as Piper said, he's not, you know, uh, intercom, we just go to and say, hey, God, I need this. Fix my, fix my problem. He is a, a walking, he is a commander. We go to and say, God, this is your will. This is what you want. How do I accomplish it? Lord, you work through my life to do what you want to do on earth. Your will be done in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. You know, I'm going to, prayer is designed to be done with God. We receive Direction from the Holy Spirit about what God wants. And then we pray for those things persistently until God answers our prayers according to His will. And that's what Jesus says. That's why He says, you know, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. And where Jesus says, you can pray whatever you want and God's going to answer you. But as long as it's according to God's will. What Jesus is saying is, hey, you find out what God's will for your life is. You find out what God wants you to do and you pray towards that. Guess what? God's going to answer. You know what God means? God's not going to answer your prayer to win the lottery. How do you know? I've done it. It don't work. God's not... We've got to find out what God's will is and pray towards that will. <clears throat> prayer is getting orders from a commander and asking him to make it happen. It isn't telling the man upstairs what you want or what you need to make your life easier. Prayer moves the arm that moves the world... And they understood that, and so they prayed to, further, to ask God to further his kingdom. John Wesley said, I'm convinced that nothing, God does nothing except an answer to prayer. And I said it before, our prayers, they're, they're so weak. They're filled with, you know, Christian catchphrases. And we've all, God, be with us. God promised to never leave us. So why are we asking him to be with us when he's already there? That's a, that's a pointless prayer. And look, I've said it because it's a Christian catchphrase. Oh, Lord, be with us. And he's like, hey, I'm here. Been here the whole time. Never left at all. Or pray things that are, are, are not, you know, his, his will or not building his kingdom. You know, we're not, we're not praying things that don't build the kingdom of God. God, help me pass this test. I remember when I was in, uh, back in Lynchburg in, in church and we'd have this uh, one of the uh, somebody, a little girl in the church was going through nursing school. And every Wednesday at prayer meeting, she would say, pray that I pass this test tomorrow. Pray. And I'm like, I don't want a nurse that was prayed through nursing school working on me. And to me, I'm like, that's, you know, that's, that's fine. God helped me pass this test. But God's like, I gave you a brain. Study. I gave you 24 hours in a day. Study. And don't, you know, I don't want a, a, a oh, it's a miracle she's a nurse. I don't want that nurse. I want a nurse that studied hard and passed with, you know, flying colors and nobody prayed her through. Or, you know, we, you know, play, oh, God bless this food. Like we're after, after church here, we're going to Mexican restaurant. I'm going to get my carnitas. All my pork and, oh, mm. all right, let's dismiss him. Uh, I'm going to say, God bless this food and God's in heaven going, I can't do much with that. You know, that's, I can't do much with your double bacon cheeseburger. Uh, maybe eat a carrot. It's pre-blessed. You know, go ahead and do that. And so we, we pray for, or give us traveling mercies, put a hedge of protection. I don't even think God knows what those things are. You, we want our prayers answered. Pray God's will. 
God, what is your will for my life? Okay, Lord, help me to fulfill that. Help me to see the wisdom to get done. Lord, open doors so I can do what you want me to do for your kingdom. You know, most of our prayers should not be praying for stuff. It should be praying for the advancement of God's kingdom in our community, in our family, and around the world. John Piper said, until you know life is war, you'll never know what prayer is for. We are at war. Pretty like it. Third thing, the final one, they were persistent in their prayers. This is taught in Luke. It's lived out in Acts. They knew that God's will was for the gospel to go around the world. You know how they knew that? Because Jesus told them. Take the gospel, be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, the Samaria, the other parts of the world. They had a serious problem. One of their leaders was killed, another one was about to be killed. They're not sure if Peter's going to get out. They are at peace if he dies. Peter's at peace if he dies. But they know no matter what happens to Peter, it is not God's will for the gospel to stop. So they pray and pray and pray and pray until God answers them and shows them how he's going to keep the gospel going. Now, just so happens the way he's going to keep the gospel going was freeing Peter from prison. But they knew. They're like, God, we know your will is to further your kingdom. We need you to do something. We're not going to stop praying until you answer us and open doors and bless our, enemy, our efforts and overcome our enemies. And they kept praying until God answered. They didn't know how he was going to answer, but they kept praying until he did. God, we're not stopping until you show us what it is you want us to do. I don't, again, I don't even think they were praying for Peter's release. Because they were shocked he got out. They were praying for God to do something, and they didn't stop until he answered. They prayed all night. You know, there are times God directs us to stop praying. He tells us no. I think of Paul in 2 Corinthians. He says, I went to God three times. God, I got the stone of the flesh, take it away. And finally, God said, Paul, stop praying for that because I have a greater purpose in your pain than delivering you from it. So there are times we pray for something and God says, that's not the way I want to go. Stop praying. There's sometimes God says no, but I think sometimes we give up too soon. We stop praying before God even has a chance to answer. You know, Spurgeon said some fruit... To get to some fruit, you got to keep shaking the tree. You know what I mean? You ever, my mom in her yard, she's got this giant pear tree. It's been there for, you know, how old am I? 44? 45 years. Huge pear tree. And if you want pears, and it's got some good pears, but if you want pears, you either got to get there before the deer do or shake the tree to get the ones from the top. And you know what you do? You get into the tree, you shake it real hard, and then you run. Because it's going to rain down pears. Sometimes you just got to shake the tree to get the fruit off. You got to keep praying until God answers. Keep asking, keep knocking until God answers. Until so he says either yes or no. They prayed like the needy neighbor. They prayed like the widow, big bugging the unjust judge to, for God to answer them. And God did. Peter was Herod's prized prisoner. And he walked right out of the prison. Nobody And look, he's chained up to two guards. The Bible doesn't say the guards woke up. Peter woke up. The guards didn't. They wake up the next morning and Peter's gone. They were in trouble. But Peter's gone. God released his prized prisoner. Now he's embarrassed. Then I want, we'll get a story at the end of Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 12. Look at verse number 20. And Herod was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon. Duh. But they came with one accord to him, and having made uh, Blastus the king's chamberlain, their friend desired peace, because their country was nourished by the king's country. And upon a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne and made an ordination to them. So he's trying to make good with the Jews. They're trying to make good with him. They're tired of all this bickering and fighting. So he's, they're trying to make good with him. He's trying to make good with them. So they come to him, and they're going to honor him. So he's you know, decked out in his apparel, and he's going to make a big show of it. And uh, verse 22, and the people gave shout, saying, It is the voice of God and not of man. Again, they're kind of buttering him up. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him because he gave not God not the glory, and he was eaten by worms and gave up the ghosts. But the word of God grew and multiplied. Now, the wording there is key. 
He was eaten by worms. Then he gave up the ghost. You get what that means? God killed him by giving him worms. Worms ate him alive, and then he died. Why? Because he didn't give God glory. And the gospel continued. The gospel grew. Moral of the story, don't mess with the praying church. Every time the church in Acts prays, stuff happens. They pray in the upper room for 10 days. They get the Holy Spirit. Peter preaches. 3,000 people get saved. Acts chapter 4, they pray, and God fills them with boldness, and they turn Jerusalem upside down with the gospel. Acts chapter 5, they pray, and 10,000 people, many of whom were their biggest opponents, including later the Apostle Paul, become get saved. And here they pray, and God walks Peter out of prison. In Acts chapter 13, they pray, and God raises Paul up to be the greatest missionary the world ever knew. And all that happens because of prayer. Reminds you of that quote I gave you at the beginning. The one concern of the devil is to keep the saints from praying. Our enemy fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. Prayer towards ordinary mortals and the men of power brings fire, brings rain, brings life. It brings God. There is no power like that of prevailing prayer. How's your prayer life? How are your morning prayers? Are you getting God involved in his mission on earth? How about your evening prayers? Where you just give your concerns to God and get a good night's rest. How much better will we sleep if we, could, if we could truly do that? If we could say, God, I've got these burdens, I've got these cares, I've got this. Lord, you deal with it. I'm going to sleep. And just slept. Jim Zimbala says the Sunday morning attendance shows how popular the pastor is. The prayer meeting attendance shows how popular Jesus is. I don't want to tell you how popular Jesus is around here on Sunday nights. I'm not just trying to make me feel guilty. Yeah. <sighs> Nothing else works. Might as well try guilt. How popular is he in your life? Pray to God about your fears. Pray to God like you're at war, war and keep praying till you get an answer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for listening to this message from New Grace Baptist Church. For more information about New Grace, check out our website at www.reachingroanoke.com.